1: Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. So this show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best man you can be in every area of your life. If you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, check out The Art of Charm Toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com slash toolbox. That's where we've got the fundamentals of dating and attraction, such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, a lot of stuff that's more important than you might think here. And we've got our boot camps running every single week here in Hollywood, California. Details on that at theartofcharm.com or give us a call here in the office, 888 7177 or email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. I'm looking forward to meeting all of you guys here in Los Angeles. Today, we're talking with my friend, David Nyehill. He's an Irish comedian and speaker, and you'll hear how Irish he really is. He learned speaking and comedy brick by brick, and he's going to teach us how to do the same. We're going to talk about hacking your public speaking and using something called the 80-20 rule. No big surprise and no stranger to that if you've been listening to the show. Talking about using that in comedy and public speaking. Elements of humor and how we can apply them for ourselves. And something called rehearsed spontaneity, something that's easier said than spelled, and how to control a room and your audience. And the course, of course, that he teaches of course, of course, can be found here on Udemy, and we're going to link to that in the show notes. So enjoy this one with David Nihil. Well, that everybody will be grateful to know, we started with McAllen, who gave us this scotch specifically so that we could embarrass ourselves on this show, which is nice. great. Thank you. Yeah, McAllen 12 and 15, sponsored by McAllen here. And now we're drinking a little bit of beer that didn't send us this for free, so they don't get a mention. Tell us what you do, David. I mean, I, you know, are you a comedian? Are you a speaker? I'm just there <laughs> for the whiskey. No, a little bit of both. So over the last, I guess,
0: for the last year, I've been inspired a lot by Tim Ferriss's work, A.J. Mm-hmm. Jacobs's work, where they intensively go in deep to one topic, apply the 80-20 principle to it, and see what comes out of it. See, can you break down a process scientifically and break it down to its finer parts and replicate it? Uh, and in doing so, I figured, well, I should probably tell people what I learned along the way. Yeah. Um, so originally I was secure my own fear of public speaking, which was pretty tragic. That's I'm not afraid of a lot, as you guys probably gathered from the kite surfing conversation right, prior, right. Um, but public speaking has always been that one big fear for me.
1: It, you know, AJ Jacobs and Tim Ferriss have both been on the show. AJ's episode is not out as of this recording, but, you know, it, it is true. I mean, there's something to be said for diving into something, breaking it into little pieces, Focusing on the important stuff, mastering each little, or doing what you can to master each little thing. But what prompted you to get into the public speaking in the first place? I mean, were you just like, oh, this is a scary weakness, so I should do it? Or was no, I wish I was that brave. I definitely wasn't. I
0: unfortunately had a friend here that I used to train with for a, a triathlon that had an injury. He suffered a spinal cord injury. Yikes. Uh, yeah, so friends had reached out to me for fundraising ideas. I, as it happened, used to live next door to a famous touring comedian in the U.S., We asked him, would he do a show? We'd sell some tickets. Uh, What I didn't anticipate was my friend said I should host it.
1: Who'd you you live next door to? Can you tell Uh, us? Tim Lee. Yeah, so his name is the
0: PowerPoint comedian or the YouTube comedian. Very, very funny comedian.
1: So he kindly agreed to do it,
0: uh, but now I was in at the deep end. So I had to host it. They were very insistent about that.
1: Yeah, it would be really weird if you were like, I'm running the event. Ah, I'm not going to get on stage, though. Because that would just look sketchy, right? I mean. Well, yeah, and for my American friends, they hadn't seen the side of me
0: in university and college in Ireland where I was a dribbling mess and a sweating and nervous and, and dropping way too many F-bombs for the average presentation. Right. And, you know, the fear was very visible to all my friends in Ireland, but not those who I'd met in the U.S. who knew me as a fairly, you know, confident, outspoken character. Okay. Um. So, yeah, I did it. Uh, I definitely prepared for it quite a lot. So there was six weeks notice I had before the event. So I had a friend who was a comedian and he essentially threw me in at the deep end. So they put me into a show for my very first time public speaking, which was sold out to 100 people and expected me to do 20 minutes of
1: comedy. Oh, my gosh. Not even just talking in front of an audience for 20 minutes, but you have to make them laugh. No, I had to make them laugh. And it's like, if they don't, you're sinking uh, in real time in front of everyone. Absolutely. And and that's what I was doing. But ultimately, I mean, it wasn't as
0: scary as I thought it would be. I relied on stories as opposed to giving people opinions. Uh, I took a lot of advice from a lot of good people who'd operated in the industry or had been comedians for a number of years or been public speakers. I read a lot. Uh, I read a hell of a lot in general, but I read a lot around the topic of public speaking. Carmine Gallo, as we'd, we'd mentioned earlier right. on, and a number of other experts in the subject. So I was, I was pretty well prepared when it came to it. And that's something traditionally I wouldn't have done. I okay. would always wing public speaking. And I think a lot of business speakers are in that boat I as well. I think
1: they do too. Yeah, they get up there. I'm, I'll i never forget when I was, I was in a law firm, I used to work on Wall Street, everybody who listens knows that, and we had a partner who uh, was like, I'm going to organize a course on real estate finance, and we're all like, okay, cool, I guess we'll go to this, because we have to. I don't think anybody was truly excited, but he gets up there and he's like, so, uh, you know, what do you guys want to know? And it, it was a disaster, and it was every week, it was supposed to be like on the same day, on you know, every Friday or whatever, it was, and... We started calling it, and they even formally started calling it. Uh, Pete needs CLE credits, and CLE is like continuing legal education. So it's basically like in, he needs to do twenty hours of this before the year is up, or he, you know, is not in good standing with the New York State Bar Association. And there's ways around that, but you got to eventually do it. And usually it means you got to take like a day or a weekend and go to a dumb class that costs money for the firm, and you got to study and do this and take a certificate. But instead, he just was teaching us CLE stuff and, and so it was double dipping because the associates were getting CLE and he was getting CLE for teaching it, but he didn't plan anything. So he stood up there and rambled and I remember being like, this is gonna be really hard to pay attention to. Luckily, back then, we had blackberries, and if you had an email, it wasn't impolite while someone was talking to be on your BlackBerry answering what was, a, I'm sure, a crucial email So we were just comparing, there's a game on there called Brick Breaker, and we would just play that nonstop. I mean, for like four hours at a time.
0: Not so cool admitting you have a BlackBerry anymore. No. We might want to edit this part out.
1: (laughs) Now if you have a BlackBerry, it's like, oh man. (laughs) It's like, what's wrong with you? What happened? Why? Why do you have to have that thing? I don't know if those are even still in use. Well, it's similar, and
0: it's a great point that you made. Sometimes you wing it, people switch out, or sometimes it actually does go well, but you cannot have any level of consistency without breaking down a process and realizing what you need to do to make it better. So I winged it. Sometimes it went okay. Most times it went absolutely horribly. Mm-hmm. And most times I bored the pants off the audience, and they were polite enough not to tell me that. I didn't video review it, so I assumed in my own head that it went pretty okay. Okay, so you started off just winging it. I started off, Traditionally, if I was in business school or if I was in a job, I would absolutely wing it. Uh, I think the last major presentation I had to do for work was in China to 500 Chinese people. I figured they wouldn't understand me anyway with an Irish accent, so I didn't put too much preparation into it. Yeah, sure. Um, you just
1: showed up with some slides and they figured, oh, that must have been really good, except I didn't understand most exactly. of it. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thankfully, they weren't switched out on their Blackberries already, but I I didn't wing it. So when it came to actually hosting the charity show that I had to do, I did not wing it. I put in some intensive preparation to it, I was very well prepared when I went on stage, and I did pretty well. When the actual show came around, I did well enough that they invited me to open for a bunch of comedians down at the Punchline, uh, one of San Francisco's major comedy clubs.
1: That's cool. I, you know, it's funny. I, I've actually heard about somebody who's a fan of the show wrote in and said he, he lives in China now, too, and he said that he you can show up and get offers like, hey, you're a visiting intellectual because you have like a college degree or a master's degree or something. So you're a foreign expert, so you can get $500 an hour giving talks to academics, and he's like, oh, I'm not prepared for this, and his friend's like, dude, just put some slides together, show up, and just ramble for like 45 minutes, and get your check, and just get the hell out of here, because they just have money to burn, and they don't care. Yeah, mine wasn't too far off it, so I I worked
0: for the world's largest uh, business school called Holt International Business School, which was formerly the RGD Little School of Business, and they were having a partnership with the Clinton administration, which is called the global case challenge they needed a host they needed a westerner i was the only one that worked for the company in town so i don't think they cared what yeah, I yeah
1: yeah oh of course so okay so fast forward so you opened up for a bunch of comedians uh, i did so I, I stuck with it i wanted to
0: break it down now that i kind of got over the initial fear and the first thing i realized was that fear never goes away so when i talked to other comedians who were operating other people that were on stage every night if i went to any storytelling shows and other people operated in that area There was a sequence of things that they went through that I was not aware of. And there was a sequence of things that they did that most business speakers were not aware of. And as I looked at it more and more with TED Talks and modern business presentations, the importance of humor was really, really, really clear.
1: Yeah. I was going to ask you why the focus on, on comedy, if you're just trying to learn how to speak, Yeah, exactly. So I think comedy is kind of the debt by
0: fire of public speaking. So if you can get over a comedy club where they're like drunk guys are there going, I'm depressed, make me laugh now, you have 12 seconds. I mean, as Jerry Seinfeld says, there's nobody more judged in modern society than a stand-up comedian. It happens every 12 seconds. It's kind of the ultimate debt by fire and test of your public speaking skills. So I figured if I could hone laugh lines in that area, does laughs, there would be very small laughs within... Uh, the realm of stand-up comedy would translate to huge laughs on a business stage and in a the conference stage, which they do, because most conference speakers are boring, as yeah. most of us know.
1: Yeah, it's, it's true. One of the things that I always take away, people go, oh, why do you go and watch all these talks and things like that when I go to conferences? And the truth is I'm only looking for little things that I can take and put in my own talks. I'm, very rarely am I actually interested in the content. So I'll look at a speaker. There's a couple of really cool ones that I won't give away right away because I use them in my own talks and people have to come and see me. But there's some other things that are like, people will have, you know, text this number to get resources from me. Or they'll have a game that people can sort of play, like almost like a drinking game, only not drinking. While you're talking, they like count the number of times you use a certain word and you use it a specific number of times during your talk. And if they get it right, they get like a free book. So people are paying attention because they're listening for this trigger word. And then there's other times people are, making noises and things like that on cue and it's it's everybody else thinks they're being rude and funny and at the end you kind of divulge like hey did anybody not notice the slide that said x y and z and it's like oh that's why this idiot was you know making like animal sounds in the front row or whatever and it's great because people are focused on the talk and then after that talk they're talking about your talk only oh did you see that guy who threw books and it hit that girl in the head and it's like something that they sort of arrange. Well, absolutely. You,
0: you simply have to do something these days to stand out from the noise in the crowd. And many people fall into the exact same pattern. So as we were referencing earlier in the book Talks Like Ted and a lot of number of other studies that have looked at TED Talks and what makes a great presentation, what makes it memorable, humor is one of the items they consistently pick out as making it memorable. So it literally burns a, a mental post-it note in your head that's, remember this, like I had a good time. Humor breaks down those barriers and opens up your resistance against new information. So it's very, very helpful in that business setting.
1: So in, on the one hand, it lowers resistance and makes your audience more receptive to you. Absolutely. So it, it triggers a release of dopamine in your
0: brain. So we're evolutionally wired to pay more attention when there's humor. Someone becomes more likable, someone becomes more interesting. It's an easy intro to the topic. It stands out and grabs your attention really quick.
1: And then on the other hand, on the other side of that same token, it increases the chances of success because people are engaged not just lowered resistance and more receptive, but they're more engaged because they're actually paying stronger attention to it. Well, absolutely, yeah. And what I found is if that humor
0: is mixed with an element of storytelling, now you're really evolutionary tapping into something that we're wired to pick up on. So we're wired to pick up on humor, we're wired to remember stories. So if you can take your story, whether in a business context or it's in a pitch or a presentation, and punch it up like a comedian would do, which is essentially trim it down to the fewest words with the maximum impact and make sure there's an element
1: of humor in there. So where did you start when you decided you wanted to break this stuff down? What's the first thing that you did?
0: I started to review a number of TED Talks that were rated as being more humorous than the rest of them. So I reached out to a guy who'd studied and broken down TED Talks and analyzed them for the level of humor and what made a successful TED Talk. Mm -hmm. And uh, the thing that stood out was that level of humor. The one thing they consistently picked up on and that was expected. I mean, if you look at Ken Livingston's TED Talk, he has 28 million views at at the moment. I think it's the most popular TED Talk. Uh, There is, it's heavily laced with humor and little stories that on the surface aren't directly related to his topic. So how are these guys developing their stories? What's the process for doing it? How do they deliver it in their most punched up form? So it turned out they're using the exact same techniques comedians are using for doing it. Just a lot of the business speakers aren't aware that they're tapping into the
1: same process for doing it. So So their cycle for development is slower. So top business performers are using humor, but they're not necessarily aware that they're using humor and that's what's making Well, they're aware they're using humor, but they're not aware that that's what's making them. Exactly. Like they're aware they're
0: using humor, but they're not aware of how to fast track the process of development. That. So, and, and a number of the clients I worked at, I'd say to them, what are your funny bits in your presentation? Normally, what parts give a laughs? Because they tend to cycle and repeat
1: the same presentation. And you'll notice yourself as a speaker. You know what works. Because people think, oh, I can be funny because... Or that guy can be funny because he's crushing it. No one's going to question him. But really, in large part, he might be crushing it because he's not afraid to use humor and be a little bit more authentic or be a little bit more relatable.
0: No, absolutely.
1: And that's what it comes down to, being relatable. So
0: if you're doing a good job when a comedian is doing a good job with a joke or crafting a story, they start off by making it relatable. They start off to draw in the largest possible audience. Mm -hmm. A lot of business speakers don't do that. So they don't set up their topic accurately. If you act like a comedian, you make it relatable and then you go more narrow in the topic. Yeah. So yeah. Like, if I'm describing this to someone, I'll say visualize a funnel at the very start it is a topic that you want to draw in and you want it to be relatable to as many people as possible. Then you want to make the story specific to you. And as you bring the story through the funnel, you're going to trim out words all the way through. As Shakespeare would say, brevity is levity. You literally have to use the minimum words to get the maximum impact.
1: Who was that president? Was it Abraham Lincoln? That's like, I apologize for the length of this letter. I did not have time to make it shorter. Every single
0: president you guys have ever had in the U.S. has relied heavily on humor. So (laughs) Obama has a bunch of great ones. It got Ronald Reagan pretty far. He came from an acting background. and It was very evident when he delivered humor, especially self-deprecation. So he, he managed to flip age in one of the debates, and he said he would not hold the inexperience and re- limited age and uh, youthfulness of his opponent against him. Oh, the yeah, I remember spectrum. that. Right, right, because he was pretty old by that point. Exactly. So how far can a good collection of well-told stories get you? I mean, pretty far, all the way to president in his yeah. case. Obviously, yeah. combined with some other skills. But every president has had a good team of copywriters and speech writers behind him, and everyone has relied on the use of humor. Perfect.
1: Perfect. And I think a lot of people are probably, who are good at, at speaking, are using the same... Processes as comedians, even if they don't know it, exactly, right? exactly. So, how do we? First of all, what processes are there? How do we make? How do we become aware of it? And then, how do we fast forward it? That's two questions. Well, yeah, something a lot of clients that I've worked
0: with uh, and key influential business speakers, and I was surprised that they didn't do it. Was evaluate their own performance fully. They wouldn't video record. They wouldn't audio record. They would not review. The That's because speeches it's they were a painful given.
1: process. Exactly. I edited this show for. F- Six years. It's a, no, it's true. It got easier, but it wasn't ever great. It's a hundred percent
0: true. We're hardwired not to like to listen to our own voices. Yeah. So, our own voice sounds different to us because all the processes going through to come out when it hits air, when it tra- travels through your nasal cavities, when it hits bone, it just sounds different. So, it's equivalent to looking at yourself in the mirror and then looking at yourself in a photo. You might like yourself in the mirror, but you probably won't like the photo that was taken later that day.
1: And then imagine you're talking, looking at yourself, and you're moving oh, at even the same worse. time. I mean, and you're judging yourself with respect to the audience that's laughing as you expect or not laughing as you expect or not Absolutely. as animated.
0: But you, you have yeah. to do it. There's literally no choice. Like the guys who are better business speakers will do that. They will review all their talks. They will be yeah. exactly aware. So you, you'll hear when a speaker has a lot of stage presence or you'll see, oh, he has very good timing. He has good timing because he's very aware which lines work. When he says yeah. something funny, he's said it funny before. He knows that laugh line is coming. And that review process allows you to shut up,
1: rework, or re-write, rewrite something, whether it's working or not. It takes a long time. I mean, it takes a long time to get good at speaking on the radio. It takes a long time to get good at speaking in person. Uh, when I took a speaking class a long time ago, we filmed everything, and then you go over the tape with your coach. And then you do another thing, and they give you the tape, and you go over it with your coach. And you do another thing, and you go over the tape with your coach. And I've had a lot of coaching in this area, and I still am like, oh, God, I have to watch myself on tape. This is terrible. I don't like it. I don't even like watching myself on YouTube, but it's key and we do that at our boot camps too. When guys come to LA to uh to train with us, we videotape them interacting with people, and it's one of the most awkwardly beneficial things that you can ever do because you never know what you look like making a first impression on somebody else. You know, and you never will unless you have someone videotaping you doing it and then breaking it down to tweak it with you. I mean, it's that's there's a lot of value in there, but it is awkward. And it's it is painful. it's
0: an awkward process. There's no easy way to do it. To be honest, some of the speakers I work with, they still refuse to do it. They will pay myself and a couple of copywriters and comedians to review their presentations for them. We will punch it up and rewrite their jokes. So there's certain things they wouldn't. To give you an example, there was a guy, he has a net worth of about $400 million. He's on television a lot. He is a keynote speaker, travels around the world internationally. Never, ever reviewed any of his presentations. When he would come out, he would play a one-minute video of how awesome he was. It would set out all his achievements for the audience in life. But what it meant was he wasn't really likable when he started off. He wasn't an average character. He was so successful, he was untouchable for the average person in the audience. So we simply asked him to come out on stage and acknowledge what people in the room were probably thinking. Comedians will comedians call this calling the room, and it's often the source of the best jokes. Vocalize the thoughts of the likely people in the room. So we asked him to come out on stage after he played this one-minute video of how awesome he was and just say, hey, does it show that my mother made this video? Yeah. And they all laughed, And then he said, if my wife had made it, it would look a hell of a lot different. Yeah, yeah, and sure. some of my failures would be in there. And then he made himself more human. And the thing is, if people don't like you or don't relate to you or don't see a human aspect in you, they won't laugh at what you're saying, regardless
1: of how funny it is. Right. Because you're completely unrelatable. And exactly. they w- they don't even want you to get the validation of being funny. Exactly. They so want to take you down a the peg. They want to take you down.
0: So it, the, the type of humor you work is very specific to how you're perceived by your likely audience. So a president is always going to rely on s- self-deprecating humor. He has to bring himself down a peg or two, because his achievements are obviously very, very um, prevalent for everybody there to see. Very obvious.
1: Uh, Yeah. And of course, the failures. Exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly. So you'll hear the key to most blog posts these days, the keys to a lot of podcasts is to get up and talk about your failures. And that's not because people by human nature love to hear about your failures. People are fundamentally good at heart. They want to hear about your success, but they want to be able to relate to you. If you're too successful, they can't relate to you. So they want to hear about some of the ways you screwed up.
1: Good, so, but what if i 'm not naturally funny? What if I'm not a comedian? How do I get laughs? I mean, but how is this going to happen? The funny thing over the last
0: year from hanging out a lot of comedians, I would say is eighty to ninety percent of the comedians I met I would not class as naturally funny. So, I met a guy, probably the least funny guy i've ever interacted with off stage looks really socially awkward. He had a comb over twenty years before he should have a comb over. He arrived on a skateboard. he was very uh Dishevelled looking, pretty scruffy looking, did not look like a confident character. It time came time for him to go on stage, and a cockiness took over him. He absolutely crushed it for seven minutes. I mean, the audience was falling over themselves laughing, and he walked off stage like a king. And I was left wondering, what just happened? Like, how did that? Transform? If you can
1: act like that, why wouldn't you act like that all the time? All the
0: time, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, well, what the hell? Because he only had seven minutes worth of content. That was what he'd prepared. That was what he'd written. So, what happens when people are not funny naturally? They say it takes comedians about seven years to go from starting comedy to making a very good living out of comedy. And that equates to about the same amount of time Malcolm Gladwell stresses in the book Outliers. Right, 10,000 like 10, hours. 10,000 hours, yeah. Exactly. So if you break it down, it's about three hours worth of comedy a day. They say that the average comedian puts 22 hours of work into every minute on a 60-minute special, which they release 22 yearly. 22
1: hours of work into every, For every minute. every minute. Into a 60-minute... What's the math on that? Anybody can do that in their head... I got my executive producer Victor here and his brother.
0: Yeah, time for a break and a word from our yeah, sponsors. When yeah, so right. we figured that
1: out. Yeah, exactly. Why don't we have Asian people in here right now? Yeah, my girlfriend's Asian, but Ooh, she's not here. Oh, happy days!
0: <laughs> there must be a part of that in your Mandarin textbook over there on the table. Why that do you can think get I have trudous. a Mandarin textbook over there? <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but I mean, when you break that down, we're never ever going to look on a business level to put in sixty minutes of funny content. One minute of funny jokes inserted into an average presentation length which is being reduced all the time. So keynotes are a thing of the past. They're dead. Like even Ted has realized that 18 minutes is too long. Now they've cut their average talk to about nine minutes in length. And that's because there's a a body of research that comes out of MIT and Harvard and a lot of stuff by John Medina, who wrote the book Braille Rules, that says your mind shuts off at nine minutes and 59 seconds. You have to re-engage people or just give it up. So the easiest way to do that is to make talks on average of a shorter length. So, if you all of a sudden have one minute of good content to insert into an eight or nine minute presentation, you're going to be pretty damn funny in the world of conferences. Wow. So, wow, how do we break?
1: Bring... This show is way too long in that case. <laughs> yeah. Holy crap. I've been doing it wrong the whole well, time. Well, the key thing is just
0: to re engage them. So, you break it into time chunks of 10 minutes, and you just have to do something different every 10 minutes. What a comedian will do will develop over time. They're not funny to start with, but. As they progress, their writing skills become better. And it actually becomes more about their writing skills and how they structure it, which is a a complete process which builds their stage presence to become whether they're funny or not. So they essentially, over the process of a year, will develop, on average, seven to eight minutes of funny material for a new comic, for an experienced comic, 60 minutes. So So that guy had the cockiness to go on stage because he knew he had seven funny minutes worth of stuff. Right,
1: because this has been tested and tested and tested. Exactly, and he's yeah.
0: reviewed it every night, and he's scored it, and he's like, well, that joke always gets a huge reaction. That joke gets a pretty decent reaction. And he structured his talk, essentially structured his performance, a bit like Steve Jobs would deliver a business speech. So his second funniest joke is always going to be at the start. His funniest joke is always going to be in. So he's going to open strong and close even stronger. And comedians know this religiously, that the first 30 seconds of what you say has the strongest importance and sets the tone. It becomes almost like a 100-meter sprinter. If you get off to a slow start, you're never going to recover. So any of the nights I did this, and I, I played around with the opening format of 30 seconds, and when I didn't get off to a good start as I normally would, the other jokes that normally scored on a much higher level or got a bigger reaction from the audience actually had less of a reaction. So you're building up an interest level throughout your performance. You're building up an intensity. And if I screwed with that order whatsoever and it weakened it, the rest of it never recovered.
1: Wow, interesting. So th- that, is, that is really interesting. It's kind of what you would expect, only now we can prove it. Now, comedy secrets, as you'd mentioned before, before we jumped in studio here, lying often in comedy writing, and you hinted at that earlier. Absolutely. Are there some are there some rules of thumb that we can go by? I mean, you, we've all heard of like the rule of three, right? Absolutely. And it's, is that an example of one? And if so, yeah,
0: absolutely. The rule of three is huge. So okay. I mean, you can look at all those presidential debates where there's been jokes orientated. The rule of three can essentially best be described as a train coming down the tracks. The first two things in the triplet set of three are there to let you think you know where the joke is going, and the laugh line comes with the twist, which is always the third element in the sequence.
1: Oh, I see. So ep- element one you know, is the starting position. Element two takes you in a direction, and then element three is s- somewhere between where the audience thinks it's going to go and a totally different direction, That and therein lies the humor and that difference, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So
0: it builds a bit of anticipation, and then the pivot or to twist in the story, that's the rule of tree, and that's the time for the humor. Now, yeah. even if you're trying to create memorable content, the humor, the rule of tree is at the heart of all things marketing and all things memory. Basically, tree is the smallest sequence and the quickest sequence that the brain can recognize as a pattern. Mm -hmm. So if you want someone to remember something, you give it to them in information in in sets of tree. So TED Talks are not called TED Talks by coincidence. BBC, NBC, CBS, you name it. You can abbreviate most of the major companies. MSNBC, damn it. Damn it.
1: They're not very good. They obviously did not have a comedy writer Somebody needs to cut a letter out of that. Maybe even two letters because it's currently five. Yeah, and I don't like talking
0: about the rule of tree, because Irish people uh, can't pronounce the word tree, the as you tree. guys might be. Yeah. Yes, the rule <laughs> oh, of tree. Damn it. Why is it always okay. something I can't pronounce? But, I mean, the rule of tree is at the, the heart of all things comedy. So that sequence, I, the first joke I ever wrote was about the Napa region in California. So I was like, oh, my girlfriend has always driving me nuts. There was she, just an earthquake there. Too soon, too yeah. Too exactly. soon. Inappropriate, inappropriate. No, th- this one is thankfully not related to earthquakes, but my girlfriend would always be driving me nuts. I want to go to Napa. So I said on stage, I gave in and I brought her. And it turns out she doesn't even like auto parts.
1: Ah, uh, hello. That,
0: that joke is completely garbage. But because of the anticipation, it builds up in the first set. You're creating a picture in someone's uh-huh. mind. Oh, I have a girlfriend. It's relatable. She always wants to go to Napa. That's relatable. Napa is a wine, wine region. region. I've been yeah. there. I can picture myself drinking wine. So the more you leave a delay before you go to the third item in the set, the bigger the laugh is likely to be. Now, uh, I, I that joke is disgraceful. It's yeah, terrible. I mean, I'm ashamed I wrote like it. It's like
1: a limited f- geographical range franchise no, that it's, people it's, are listening and Like I don't even get it. It's pure
0: it. garbage. It goes against everything I stand for in life. Like, <laughs> I like telling real stories as an element of humor. That uh-huh. one is rubbish. My girlfriend won't even talk to me after I tell it in clubs, but I've videoed it at least 15 times, and every time on a scoring level of 1 to 5, that gets a 5 reaction. So people stop, clap their hands, and you get an Crap. applause break in a comedy club. Wow, yeah, that's good. Why does that happen? Because it kills some time that you don't have to fill with funny shit. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, that becomes the funniest stuff, and because it uses joke structure. So it, it brings everything, and that would be our argument in general, or the basis of my book at the moment, and the basis of the course. Do so you just take your stories, Everybody has funny stories happen to them. Everybody has an interesting story to tell. And if you don't, you probably read about a cool story in a book. Like, to be a bestseller these days, you don't actually need to sell that many books. So it means that the average person hasn't had the story. Even though the book is top of the New York Times bestseller list, Mm -hmm. most people have never heard the stories within that book. So if you're retelling them in a concise, funny manner... You're generally entertaining people or bringing some value to them by telling it in the first place.
1: What about callback humor? You always hear about callback humor, callback humor, callback humor. And, like, when people do it well, it's like, oh, man, that guy's funny. He's on top of it. You know, callback humor's great. If you can do it, it's awesome. Is there a structure for this? I mean, how do we, how do we like, create callback humor and things that we're doing. or Well, you do it in the same way that probably
0: taps into a lot of uh, social dynamics when it comes to dating. It's just shutting the hell up and listening to what somebody's saying and not trying to one-up them with your own stories. Just really, really listening. Callback just as you tying together pieces of information. If that's a joke earlier on, you can reference it up to about three times. So callback has a couple of ways. You're basically just referencing something that happened already. If that was a joke and a laugh line, now you're creating an in-joke between you and the audience by referencing it again. Somebody who watches that video back won't find it very funny, but everybody in the room at that moment will.
1: Right. So if we could say we could say something like auto parts, Napa, something, at yeah. some point during the show, and it's like, I see what you did there. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And
0: you'll, you'll just come back and say it again. If it worked, reference it again. The key to successful callbacks is not to do it too much. Again, falls into the rule of three. Don't do it more than three times. God, I wish I could pronounce that.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, do you just not have
0: TH sounds? And... We just don't have them in our no. We didn't need them. The British probably stole them from us.
1: Yeah, bro, yeah maybe. Maybe. One day we'll get them back. Well, and you would mentioned calling the room and riffing and stuff like that. What, What is that and how can we use that and just... I mean, should we be using that in everyday you, you, conversation? Or
0: You absolutely should. So, I mean, always the biggest laughs, no matter how effectively written material is and anything I've written and performed, the biggest laughs any night always came from impromptu stuff that happened in the moment. So a joke that shared you in the audience, and it's proven to them by unfolding in front of their eyes that you didn't have any preparation. So you just said something witty in the moment. The more you practice, the more you speak on stage, the more the same sort of things start to happen. So somebody knocks a drink over, the air conditioning is on too much, somebody falls over, the presentation before you sucked. You're basically just vocalizing what people are thinking in the room.
1: Might have to be careful with the presentation before be, you Be sucked. very careful with that one. Yeah. But I
0: mean, if the lunch wasn't great, if it's too hot in the room, if a fire alarm goes off, the key thing to that is react to that moment. Vocalize what people are thinking. You can't, right. You'll see a lot of business presenters, a fire alarm will go off and they're like, we're just going to work through it. Like, my presentation isn't working. The microphone's broken. I'm just going to keep going. Right. They're so nervous, they'll just try and knock it out. Whereas you really have to stop and acknowledge. I've been on a stand-up comedy stage, and the fire alarm went off, and a bunch of firefighters came in. <laughs> like, I've seen a comedian in that scenario, when the fire alarm went oh, off, and the lights were flying. Wow. Just keep going with jokes. And that's
1: probably the worst thing you can yeah. do Yeah, at some point, you just have to be like, I heard there was going to be alarm if this got too amazing and too awesome and too funny. Is that is that what that is or whatever? Something like that. Yeah. But I,
0: I would encourage you and your your listeners to have a look at this uh, where the legendary Robin Williams crashes a right. TED talk. And he basically is just making jokes when people sneeze and people say something. And the fact that there aren't people there, someone's walking around. And, you know, the up to that point in most business presentations, it's being a performance. They a lot of business speakers simply don't interact with the audience yeah if you don't interact with the audience they're going to switch off sooner or later no
1: i love it i, I went to a comedy club with my parents they were uh, visiting me and we go and we see this guy's so funny this comedian was really funny i can't remember his name so obviously you know he did it sort of right but he, you know should have reintroduced himself at the end but it was it was a couple years ago now and i'm sitting on the other end of this round the you know the comedy store in la so it's it's got big tables it's in the upstairs room and so he's talking and my parents are on the other side of the table so you can't really tell that we're together and he's making some sort of like off color jokes and then it gets really bad and then it gets really bad and i'm laughing and i'm i'm laughing really hard cuz my mom is right there so it's especially awkward for me and the laughter is kind of an outlet so he turns to me cuz i'm going i'm i'm losing it and i'm also next to these really obnoxious girls that he does not like at all so he's like making masturbation jokes and stuff like that and cuz they're starting to get offended but i'm laughing And he just singles me out for like some special treatment, right? And he just, he's going off on, you know, whacking off or whatever. And then my mom and dad are laughing and I just, I'm turning red. and he goes, wait, oh shit, are those your parents right there? (laughs) Oh my God, dude, I am so genuinely sorry. This is awkward. And then he like goes, excuse me, waiter. Yeah, you right there to the waiter. who's like walking around. He goes, can you please get this guy a beer on me? I, that was just not, that was next level fucked up. And and it was so funny because it was, like, everybody was identifying with, like, this crazy, like, jerk-off joke, and then my mom just went oh, right a- there. Absolutely. He crushed it. I mean, he got, like, a, a I mean, everyone loved this da- guy. He was going places. And it was really fun for me because, yes, it was super awkward, but instead of just being like, oh, shoot, this is weird because his parents are right there, he just leaned into it. And was like, oh man, I owe you. I'm sorry, bro. Like, totally. get this guy a drink, and he literally bought me a drink. And in from doing the so, he
0: acknowledges what everybody else is thinking. Like, whoa, that's I can't visibly you awkward. Did that. yeah. yeah. Did you do that? Why would oh, you do no.
1: that? Yeah,
0: yeah. So I, I was touring actually last week. I was down in L.A. in the comedy store, and we're in the Ice House in Pasadena uh, with a couple of leading Irish comedians. And one of them will do 60 minutes where he just makes it up on. How the many spot. of them were you? Tree? Tree, yeah. Tree. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was four for a while. That's there. callback humor, yeah, I think. Thank you. Uh, callback, sure. ladies and gentlemen. Bite a man a beer. Get his parents here. Let's get it kinky again. Sorry, um, I ruined your story. No, that's all right. You ruined them all. That's, 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 the that's way why I'm rolling. here for. Thank you. That's why I'm here. Thank you. This is magical. He would make up 60 minutes all on the spot, impromptu, just off talking to the crowd. But as I noticed by the third night, he was using the exact same joke. So, yeah, sure. so I would call it rehearsed spontaneity. He was walking them into bits that he'd done before. And after a while, if you do enough business presentations and you do enough public speaking, you're going to have a good idea what people are going to say in the moment and how to react to it. Excellent. That, that's good. Rehearse spontaneity. So you can exactly. start to recycle things that have oh, worked. Absolutely. If I go into a, a comedy club and I ask him, hey, when I say Ireland, what words come to mind? And after a while, there's going to be a pattern in that. And after a while, I can develop a response for everything they just did. Uh, Or I can ask where people are from or certain nationalities and interact with the audience a little bit and steer them in a direction that I want them to go in. And the exact same behavior and preparation is relevant for business presentations. If you want to lead into your next segue into your next component or touch on your next topic, you want them to talk about some problem they're facing and how your product solves it. And you already have, obviously, a bit prepared about that, how you magically solve their problems.
1: Now, is there a structure to jokes as well? I mean, it seems like there's something, my brain says that there's some way to do this. And you kind of hit on this before where, you know, rule of three, you've got a certain amount of time that elapses between the second and third, and that absolutely amps things up. I mean, are there joke structures there absolutely. besides knock-knock yeah. who's there or whatever? No, there you know isn't. I mean? and,
0: and the more effective ones will come back to a setup, which is essentially comes back to the funnel I mentioned earlier. You want to set up by including as many people as you can. So if you went on a trip to China, in your case, you've been there studying, you don't want to say by starting, hey, I went to a trip to China. You'd start by making it relevant to everybody. So, hey, sometimes crazy things happen when you travel. And most people in the room have traveled somewhere and automatically will switch in to find out what your crazy thing is. Yeah, Yeah, at some point. So you want to start with an opening statement that's as relevant to as many people as possible before you get specific to your example. So it's always going to be a setup which is essentially your introduction to the topic, a built anticipation intentionally, and then your punchline. And then you'll see taglines, which are extra lines and little jokes that you're going to throw on. So in President Obama's case, one of the most talked about ones where he was setting it up to say it's ridiculous how many different departments and how unstructured and how antiquated we are when it comes to policy. He said there's basically one department that looks after salmon when they're in freshwater. There's one department that exists totally different that looks after salmon when they're in saltwater. I hear it gets a lot more complicated when they're smoked. Not the world's best joke. I don't even get it. But everybody laughed. Yeah, check it out. It's garbage, but it follows the room a tree, and everybody in that audience followed with it and laughed along.
1: Pro- especially because there's juxtaposition between the office of the president and somebody you expect to be funny in the first place. Well, exactly, yeah.
0: But the president is smart enough to realize that humor is expected of him. Like His modern-day audience is not getting news from newspapers anymore. They're watching... And, they, you know, they're watching John Stewart at night. They're watching the Colbert Report. They start to expect things delivered with a punchline. And he can't get away from that. And that's why you'll see him sitting on Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis. And, you know, his comedy writers will prepare him for that. They're very worked bits. They're done by copywriters and professionals. And they're always going to follow that structure. He's going to set it up, draw in as many people as possible. It'll follow the structure of Tree and there'll be a very well-crafted punchline in there.
1: Interesting. That's... uh, it's. The, three, the rule of three, I feel like everyone's heard of, but we never really think about other joke structures. Now, Absolutely. So, I mean, my argument would be
0: for your listeners to try and get there as quickly as possible is yeah. simply recognize that there is stories that have happened to you. You all have a cool story to tell. If it's not from you, it's from a book, it's from somewhere. Something wacky happened in your life or in your business that you are comfortable already speaking about. If you want to use comedian's techniques to transfer that into a business presentation or your own personal life when you're interacting with people, Strip it down to its most singular form. Strip it. Take all the unnecessary words out and try and feed it to joke structure. So recognize your story. Remember what part normally gets a laugh when you tell it to people. If you're at a party or a social situation or you're in the office, what's the key funny part to your story? And now feed it back into joke structure. So introduce it in a shorter manner as possible, and then get to the punchline as quickly as possible. That's good, because otherwise people have no idea where to start. No, absolutely. Right. So you set it up as general and wide as you can. You're like, hey, you were talking about China. Wow, travel can throw up some crazy things. When I was in China, this happened. And the funny part comes as quickly as it can.
1: Right, right. Not So I'm traveling, da-da-da, two minutes of backstory... Dot, well, dot, yeah, dot we've, China, we've all had the babbling dot. story at, yeah, like, a Christmas terrible. dinner. We're
0: like, oh, and I met Mary, and Mary likes cheese, and it was a cold day. I like cold days, and she had a coat on. It was a blue coat. I have a blue coat. you're like, and then they'll get to the part where Mary, when I found her, was 80, and she was singing, Madonna's like a virgin while drunk to a cow. And you're suddenly awake. What just happened there? Wait, what happened? What was blue the exciting coat? part of that story? So strip yeah. out all the garbage. And right. I think mothers, as we know as guys... Mothers always do this. They start telling you a story, and they get lost in so many unnecessary details. Oh, man. Your mother is not going to make a stand-up comedian for that very reason. Unless you videotape her, and then that's just going to be weird. If you
1: want an example of doing that wrong, you can listen to early episodes of this show where I start talking and go off on a wild tangent about something that has nothing to do with my original point. Exactly. And fail to get back to it until somebody just brings it up again. And hence stand-up comedy. So it forces you, or
0: stand-up comedy or public speaking forums in general, or storytelling nights, but anything that enforces a time limit on you with a crowd of strangers doesn't buy you the love that your friends are going to give you. Or the abuse, in case you're Irish, we're pretty good at telling someone shut the hell up. Like, why are you saying this, you boring bastard? What's the point of your story? Uh, I like it. But, you know, the comedy club is aggressive for doing that, and you'll pick it up. If you don't pick it up in the moment, you'll pick it up on the tape when you look back at it. But it forces you
1: to get your stories concise, punchy, and to the point. Comedy clubs are good for this, because you'll see great comedy, but you will see absolute crap as well. Oh, absolutely. And then you'll be able to say, oh, that guy went wrong, and you can sort of tell me what you think of this. You can compare the bad comedians to the good comedians, not just in the taste of jokes. I mean, sometimes comedians get laughs where we were listening to some comedy in the car on the way to get this uh, Paxi's pizza, famous San Francisco pizza. And some of the jokes that this guy was telling on the radio were absolute rubbish. And some of them were really funny. And you can kind of compare the two. And I remember going to comedy back in the day. I I met my college roommate and went to go see comedy. He's not a guy I think is funny and I don't like his sense of humor. But here we are at a comedy club and the comedians heckling us because we're in the front row ends up destroying his whole set says at the end, this set was a frickin' train wreck. And then when he tries to put the microphone back on the stand, it tips over, slams against our table, and sends our drinks flying Whoa. into the air. <laughs> That's a bad set. I mean, it was just like the worst damn thing. And I remember thinking, he's not going to forget this for a long time. And he won't. But yeah. I, And
0: I think the thing, the mistake a lot of people make, and whether this is in comedy clubs or any other form is people in the world at the moment are sick of opinions, but people naturally love stories. Yeah. So if you want to tell something funny or you want the heart of a good key joke that's unlikely to piss anybody off and most likely to be memorable and draw people into what you're saying, just tell them a story. Don't try and give them an opinion on... So if you start off a statement by, I think and off you go, you're already going down the wrong path. That's true, because people are waiting to disagree with you, right? Well, absolutely. So if you say, I think, you're throwing out an opinion and somebody wants to argue with you. So if you're doing that in a presentation, you can simply make the same point by telling a story. And that can be a well-crafted, short, punchy story. Companies are already doing this. Like Airbnb relies on storytelling. They had a cool story like Lululemon... Beats, headphones, they all tell a story, and because they're doing that effectively, they don't spend as much money on marketing anymore. Right. No, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Cord is a great example, or sorry, it's now Beta Brands in the city in, in San Francisco. So What's that? Run by a friend of mine. It's a clothing company. Uh, they're com- completely community-driven, so they put out a new product every week that's selected by their community. They build a company on a zero-marketing budget just by putting out humorous content all the time to their community. Huh. They pretty much have a cult status following
1: that's pretty cool. Oh, I never heard of it. They're so fantastic. I'm not, I'm the cult, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Well, you yeah. should be.
0: Yeah. Not yet. Right. No, but Chris Lennon, the founder, he's great. He used to be my roommate, and I got to see firsthand just how he was doing it. But he is nationally covered in everything from the New York Times to CBS, NBC. You name it. Any three-letter abbreviation or possibly a five-letter. Yeah, MSNBC. That's cetera. a callback. It's not a funny one. Right. Doesn't matter. Relevant to us in the moment, right. not to any of your listeners. Right. Apologies, and um, but he he is absolutely a master of being picked up in media because he's doing something a little bit different and he's relying on humor to do it.
1: What about, you've seen those Chris Rock DVDs where he's like in different cities and they cut together the funniest reactions of the best one. And there's, in the beginning of one, I really wish I could remember what this DVD was called because people might actually be able to find it. But he's in Johannesburg and then he's like, Johannesburg, right? And then he's in Detroit and he's like, Detroit, Michigan, right? And then they go through, several different cities where he's doing that and you go it's cool because it shows how he's like all over the world and he's doing his comedy thing and, and what I'm thinking is oh he incorporates a local area reference into every single set that he does that's obviously deliberate he's not just Very walking deliberate. in and going oh I'm in Detroit now I guess I should say Detroit Michigan right like he, he's thought of that before. he probably had his tour dates went through and, and tested a bunch of crap with a bunch of his friends and his agent and his manager And other, maybe even comedy clubs in the area that are, I don't even know how you test stuff like that. with local It's
0: all all pre-scripted. So I think the the best comedians and the best public speakers will look to build an affinity with their audience straight away by referencing that they've taken the time to learn something about that area. And every joke or funny bit needs a target. So I went to see uh, Chris Rock when he was here. I went to see Dave Chappelle when he was here. And the warmest joke reception he got was when he talked about the tenderloin. And uh, not because it's a wildly exotic, beautiful neighborhood. It's because he showed he took the time to give a shit about San Francisco. Right. Or if he was referencing local football teams and rivalries. And again, this has been something done by presidents, very famously by JFK, when he was making fun of a number of sporting teams in a, a presidential speech he gave. I forget the, the college football team he was making fun of. And um, But every joke needs a target. And the smarter comedians and the smarter public speakers will work to include about 10% of their material and make it relevant to the area that they're in and the people that they're talking to.
1: Yeah, I can just see Barack Obama saying, in any election for that matter, although I guess he's done, he has a record worse than the Detroit Lions. Yeah. Right?
0: Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, and it, no
1: one's going to argue with that.
0: Nobody's going to argue. I mean, it's obvious. It's funny. Every joke needs a target. There's no risk of that joke right. failing. Yeah, it's because easy no, humor. No
1: one's going to debate that the Lions are good. He's safe on that Not even
0: an Irish person who wouldn't know anything about who even the lions are.
1: Speaking of going over your game tape, I wonder, I think that Obama impression was pretty bad, but it sounded really good in my head after all this alcohol. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that's where editing comes in. I'm going to leave it in there, I don't even care. (laughs) (laughs) I would edit in the real Obama for that one. Then you'll be impressing people. Yeah, and people will be like, holy shit. The power of editing. That sounds so good. You're in the wrong business, (laughs) Jordan. Um... How do you control the room in the audience, or can you? I mean, you can't, can you control the room You absolutely in the can. At the end of the day, you have a microphone. You are the loudest, potentially most obnoxious
0: person in the room. Right, unless I'm sitting in there, in exactly. which case you better watch out. Well, you're naturally loud, but I do pretty good as well. So, I mean, you should remember that you're completely in control of the room. When you're in a business presentation, you'll hear a speaker say quite a lot when somebody asks him a question, ooh, that's a wonderful question. And then they'll repeat that person's question. I
1: hate, that is, that is annoying. Oh, it's annoying, but yeah. it buys
0: you time. It and does. if you have no idea
1: what the answer is, perfect. That's an excellent question. That's an excellent question, John. So what, what I heard is the exact same thing that you just said. Exactly. Yeah.
0: But I mean, again, use used us to create a delay.
1: But if anyone stands out,
0: if anyone asks a stupid question, again, you're doing something to call back. And you're like, well, thank you, Mary, for that question. Not the best one we've had all day, yeah. but I'll do my best to, uh, uh, you know, approach it and address it. You do control the room. At the end of the day, you're louder than anybody else in there. You set the pattern. I mean, the audience will grab a group mentality straight away. A funny thing that happens when you put a group of strangers in a room is they all adapt the same mentality. If they're laughing together, they laugh together. If they don't like you, it kind of spills and transcends to all the rest of them. So it's very important that you control the energy in that room. There's a number of things you can do to do that, even getting people to applaud which a lot of speakers don't do well in a business context. You want to come on stage to a, a loud level of applause. You want to train people. Again, it's the rule of three to applaud three times. So if you go to a comedy club, you're going to hear the host say, give an applause for yourselves. Yeah, right. Give an applause for your bartenders and wait staff. Are yeah. they really that amazing? Do they, is a, give an applause for everybody you're about to hear tonight. And you're simply training people, hitting three times in that sequence is the pattern that makes you most likely to continue to do it.
1: That's interesting. I've noticed the MC usually says, like, give it up for my man, blah, blah, blah. And then the comedian Absolutely. gets up there and goes, How about our MC tonight, everybody? Yeah. Exactly. Right. And if the yeah. MC
0: didn't do a good job and he hasn't brought up the energy, a comedian will sense that and ask yeah. for a round of applause again. Equally if you're coming onto a business presentation and you need two seconds to set up your laptop. The easiest thing you can do and bring the energy in the room up is say, big, big round of applause, ladies and gentlemen, for your last performers yeah. or all the performers. You can give it a round of applause for anything, but it's something that's very well manipulated by comedians, which is not often done by conference hosts.
1: That's a good point. Yeah. Mike Kaplan, a buddy of mine, who's he was, uh, was on Last Comic Standing, he, one of his jokes is uh, everyone applauds when he gets up on stage and he goes, Thank you for that round of applause. I'd, hopefully there'll be another one when I'm done. Yeah. Or oh, something. Exactly. It's it's actually funnier when he says it. I'm not sure. I'm pretty well, sure I You vocalize their level yeah. of applause. So the easiest yeah. the easiest laugh you're ever gonna get is just
0: by stopping after applause and go, Whoa, that sucked. We're gonna try that again. Right. And then they'll do it with a lot more of enthusiasm. Right.
1: And meanwhile you just asked them to.
0: Yeah, you yeah. absolutely asked them to. You asked them to voluntarily pick up the energy and they responded. You control the room. You can ask an audience to do things, and they normally will. Don't get too carried away or kinky with that. There's obviously limitations.
1: Sure. Um, But when it comes to the energy in the room, you control it. So how do we start things off? Because I know that we talked about writing out some of our favorite stories, apply the joke structure, rule of threes, some of these things that we sort of refer to as laugh lines. Test everything, right? I mean, so this is a skill that can be developed, right? And, and we write but, out our favorite stories and we test them. How do we know it works? We test things, right?
0: Absolutely. We test everything. So any story you have, you have to view as in continuous beta. Just like any bit of software, any company worth its salt these days, you need to recognize that you are not the best. You do not have the finished product. That story or antidote you use is not the finished product. Your talk isn't the finished product. So you try and rework it and you're constantly trying to make it better. You do that by evaluating So you'll you'll come across TED Talk speakers at the moment, and if you go online and Google search them, you'll find them delivering the same premises or jokes at a public storytelling night like The Moth. So The Moth obviously has pretty cult following. You'll meet some very high-level speakers and writers at The Moth because they need stage time. They need somewhere to practice. So you can practice on your friends and your colleagues, but there's no substitute for talking to a group of strangers and seeing can you hold their attention. Or something like Toastmasters that we discussed earlier, they're a lot more forgiving than a comedy club. Yeah, they're That's not going to boo and heckle and throw you off stage. Right,
1: because it's like you're getting vulnerable and it's, you're not supposed to be a professional. Yeah. Whereas if you're at the improv and I'm bored,
0: yeah, you're going to hear Yeah, you're going to vocalize it very, very quickly. But on a storytelling night, there's no expectation to be funny. So you can go in there and tell your company's story. You can go in there and tell your story as a person, a relationship with your family. There's no expectation to be funny. But by recording that, you will find what parts were funny. You go in there and try to include some jokes in it. You pull out those parts and you build them into a talk. So you mentioned AJ Jacobs. He's been on the show. You'll see him do that with the mod. You'll see him do that with a TED talk. You'll see him deliver the same story. You'll see Malcolm Gladwell do it as well.
1: Now, what about trying to imitate a a comedian? I know, and I've noticed this, and it doesn't work really. If I can see it, it's not working well.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're the really good ones. The ones that pop to mind. I would not suggest trying to imitate them in any way. Stick with stories, but there are aspects that they use that you should tap into. So Chris Rock is famous for always re-emphasizing whatever takeaway he wants you to leave with. And the key part of any business presentation is leaving something in someone's mind. So Steve Jobs with the iPod back in the day, it was 1,000 songs in your pocket. And he kept saying that throughout the presentation. Now, Chris Rock, it's a lot less formal. It'll be like, bitches be crazy. yeah, And he'll go back through. That didn't sound like Chris Rock is Irish. That is is I am Chris Rock, the cowboy. Somebody edit that later on. Somebody <laughs> yeah. fix that. Just put Obama in there. Put anything
1: in there. You can't ask them to edit things. <laughs> Only I can ask them to edit things. Damn it. And you should have brought more I'm beer to bribe the you. I'm pulling
0: strings on this uh, one. And nicely done. But I mean, it, it's you take aspects from what comedians do. You don't take direct. So with Chris Rock, callbacks. Uh, he does extremely well. But leaving people with a key takeaway is something you need to do in your talk. What piece of information do you want them to leave with? You need to identify that and repeat it throughout your talk.
1: Well, one thing that you and I had brought up before offline here is the more entertaining you can be, the more time you actually earn to deliver the serious. It's almost like you're when you entertain, you bank attention. Absolutely. So you'll
0: see, I think the best way of linking that is to pitches if you're an entrepreneur. And a lot of guys will lead with the facts and the figures behind their current success, behind their user rates, behind the investment levels that they got. You're already boring the shit out of people, even if those numbers are impressive. To sell somebody on what you're talking about, you need to draw them in with a story and illustrate a pain point that you're solving. You need to buy yourself time to be more serious. So you basically hold your trump cards, your numbers, the impressive stuff for when somebody's already listening to you. So you need to grab their attention first without getting into heavy details. Humor is a great way of doing that. Excellent. Thank you very much, man. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Where can people find you? You can drop me a line. We run a conference series called Funny Business where we teach people and put leading experts in front of them how to tap into storytelling and improv and the power of comedy and business to create better content. I uh, have a book, which will be out by the time we finish this one, called Seven Comedy Habits to be a Funnier Speaker. It'll be
1: done by the end of the night. It's Yeah, yeah. it actually is That's done. amazing. I just haven't edited it yet, but yeah, it's rolling.
0: Depends how much beer we drink, but there yeah, could be it some inspiration how, in there. how
1: long we're passed out after this show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So no, they can drop me an email, I'll publish some of the, the links in your show notes, and uh, it
1: won't be hard to find me. That's right. Excellent. Thank you very much, Irish Dave Nihil. Thank you. You know, it's funny how someone can learn something so quickly. I didn't want to mention it before the show, but he really learned all of this in the last maybe 18 months or so, and he's really, really good at it. If you don't believe me, you can check out some of the videos linked in the show notes. Hack your public speaking. Hack everything for that sake. Use the 80-20 rule and figure out how to make the bulk of the important stuff work for you. Don't focus on the minutia. You can do that later on. You can add the artistic stuff later on. Focus on the rules first and add those elements of humor and figure out how to apply them for yourselves. Rehearse spontaneity. A lot of people think, oh, well, if I'm memorizing this, it's cheating. You, ha- you might have to cheat in the beginning, especially if you're gonna compete with the big boys, and pretty soon it will become natural, not the cheating part, but the actual flow and the art of it. Controlling a room, controlling an audience, that's something you can use, comedian or not. Show feedback and guest suggestions. I rely on you guys to help keep me informed about who's a good fit for the show. In fact, just about every show that you guys have heard in the past few months, is somebody that's either been found through research done by somebody else or a connection found by somebody else. So I can't take credit for a lot of the selection of this. A lot of you guys ask, how do you keep so much of this going? And it's because you guys are actively participating in that process. So if you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank the guest on Twitter. We're going to link his Twitter right in the show notes. If you're listening to this but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher, that needs to change. Getting our shows delivered free to your phone or computer while you sleep is the best way to make sure you don't miss anything. You can do that by going to iTunes and searching for the Art of Charm podcast or going to theartofcharm.com slash iTunes and hit subscribe. That's pretty much it. Alternately, we have our iPhone and Android apps available at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone and slash Android. Go ahead and tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week. Go out there and get social and leave everything and everyone better than you found them.